I am here with Niche from 1KX, who is doing some phenomenal research. Niche, I'm so excited to have you on the pod. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Long time listener. Oh, I so appreciate that. And I cannot wait to dive into some of the things that you've been writing on. Um, but before we do that, maybe you can give a little bit of context on you and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole. For sure. Um, so I got into crypto around 2017, um, right before the ICO boom. Um, I was working at Instacart at the time as a tech recruiter. Um, and Naval Ravikant is one of the investors into Instacart. He came to the, into our office to do like a fireside chat. And the, like, he talked about a lot of things, but like the thing that I got most out of the conversation was like this idea of programmable money and, and Bitcoin and Ethereum. So sort of, uh, went home and like did some, like my first sort of dive into how Bitcoin works, um, blockchain technology. Um, and I'm not, I don't have, I didn't have a technical background. So I just kind of, um, started a blog just to kind of like note down my learnings, um, into the space and just started publishing articles, um, diving into how the technology works. Um, and then, you know, I see how we won't happen. I moved back to Thailand. Um, and then just kind of like continued sort of doing my own, like writing on the side, um, uh, writing about Ethereum, about like zero X, things like you know, consensus, consensus algorithms. Um, and then, uh, was working out of this, um, innovation, um, arm of, out of a university hosting like developer events and, um, basically like launching like a blockchain incubator. Um, and out of that incubator, uh, it was around the time when CryptoKitties came out and, uh, sort of NFTs, uh, came into the fore, um, and got really excited about the idea. Um, at, at the time, it was like an excitement around digital collectibles, um, that you like truly own. Uh, and yeah, uh, started an NFT project back in 2018. And that's when I sort of got my hands dirty in code for the first time, learned Solidity to build out this NFT project that aimed to like, uh, fund wildlife conservation initiatives. Um, so I was working on that for a few years, but, um, and then, you know, just freelanced, uh, as a Solidity developer, um, for a few years for various DeFi and sort of, um, gaming projects. Um, and then beginning of 2020, uh, right before COVID happened, uh, discovered Metagamma Delta, which, um, is a, a grant, a woman focused grand style that started out in, uh, East Denver of 2020, found that on Twitter, um, got into the DAO space. Um, and yeah, like met a lot of sort of meta, meta cartel and, and DAO folks, governance nerds, um, in that uh, ecosystem and met a lot of friends that, you know, still I, I talk to like on a weekly, daily basis, um, right now. So that was a really good time. Um, and then, yeah. And I, through that DAO sort of space, I met Peter Pan, who, uh, is a partner at 1KX. Um, and he had stumbled on my like earlier writing and kind of recruited me to join 1KX as a, as a researcher and sort of, yeah, researcher in residence, um, like writing investment memos about, um, our portfolio companies, as well as like diving into different verticals in web three. So I've just been publishing like over the past two years, um, like diving deep into different, um, areas like, like DAO tooling, um, NFT finance, wallet infrastructure, decentralized identity. And, you know, multiplayer creation and most recently, um, digital physical goods. Um, so yeah, uh, happy to dive into, to any of that. Um, been with 1KX for just a little over two years now, but it felt like, you know, just the blink of an eye. As things often do in crypto. Um, yeah. And I love the MGD call out 
I met a Gamma Delta was the first DAO that I officially joined, though I was, you were much more involved than, than yeah. I was, but that was officially my first DAO. So holds a special place in my heart also. Um, but yeah, I, I, you are someone who I look up to in terms of research and the way that you think about a lot of these things and would 11 out of 10 recommend for anyone who has not read your writing to read it because I think, um, yeah, your approach is, is really, really interesting. And, um, I particularly want to dive into this digiphysical goods concept. So you recently put out this piece on digiphysical goods, um, and sort of the, the way that this like IRL and on-chain world are starting to come together. Um, maybe we can just start out by like you giving just a, a definition of what a digiphysical good is. Cause I've heard like we have fidgetal, there, there are lots of, versions of this word. I like digiphysical. Um, but yeah, maybe we can start out with the definition. Yeah, for sure. Um, so digiphysical goods, when I was um, kind of thinking about the, the article, like one of the first things was the definition, because I think over the past few years, especially with the, um, you know, this hype about the metaverse, um, the concept of digiphysical came up um, in like with the idea that, oh, uh, you can have a physical product like um, uh, shoes that also has sort of this digital twin in the metaverse. And that was sort of like this prevalent notion of what a digital physical good is. Like you can experience it in the real world, but also wear it like in, in uh, Decentraland uh, crypto boxes and things like that. Um, but it felt like that was, um, it, 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 it only scratches the surface of what digital physical goods can be. Um, and, I I came uh, I kind of stumbled on the idea that it digiphysicals like to be kind of crypto native and to be true digiphysical goods you need this linkage right between the physical uh, item and the the digital utility that you can derive out of it so one of those digital utilities can be yeah you can like wear it in the metaverse but um, without this linkage between the physical uh, between physical ownership and the digital um sort of uh, ownership uh, digital property rights then it's sort of like like a this digital twin sort of decoupled loose coupling um products where theoretically you can like sell your shoes and you can still have the nft and it's kind of like it's not really it's like two distinct products um so what a digital good is is a physical item with a cryptographic linkage to some on-chain record and that on-chain record um, can be can be anything, but it could list out the the rights that you have by owning this physical pro product. So now, like the good becomes the physical and digital aspect becomes something that's integrated and like integral to be like one product itself, rather than these two separate pieces. Yeah, and I think like the the interesting call out here also that that you're making is that like just to kind of summarize, typically. Thus far, when we've thought about what it means to have a linkage between a digital, a, a digital and a physical experience, um, there isn't like something that's forcing those two things to be tied. And so ultimately you have this like weird disconnect, but the piece really outlines like this vision for, and even highlights technologies that are enabling this where like there's, for example, a chip in a sweatshirt. And so it's actually not like, oh, you own this NFT and the sweatshirt is also like kind of associated with it. It's actually like your private key, for example, um, might actually be, um, in this chip. And so the, the sweatshirt itself is also the physical, um, it's the physical, access point basically to the right. thing that is on chain. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. And I think what becomes really interesting about this and, and you kind of um, work through a couple of the different potential sort of possibilities here, um, but it starts to unlock like net new types of experiences. So maybe you can talk a little bit about like what this type of like almost hardware and software linkage enables. Yeah, for sure. So um, I think uh, at, a high le- uh, at the high le- at highest level, um, it kind of brings the on-chain interactions that we have today to physical environments. So this can be like co-op mints, NFT mints, um, generative art uh, mints, um, trading, even payments, because um, with this new sort of uh, specialized version of NFC chips, you now um, have physical products that have signing capabilities. So um, before, you know, you have NFCs that you scan and it kind of brings you to a web page and you go from there. But with chips with signing abilities, now you can do things like have um, like DAO merge, um, be a signer in a multi-sig and whoever has this DAO merge can, um, can like get into event spaces without, you know, and that can act as your ticket. Um, and I, I made the analogy of digital physical goods being like festival, uh, festival wristbands. Um, if you go to like Coachella or something, um, you get these wristbands and you can scan it. Um, and it acts as your ticket, but you can also like use it as payment, um, cards, like within the, like in the event itself. So, um, the, the sort of value of the wristband is not just like the physical thing that brings you like convenience, um, in the event, but the on-chain or this in this case is not on chain, but like digital uh, record that that says what uh, which sort of private events you can attend and like what money you can spend. And if brands wants to um, uh, sort of give you loyalty points or any um, perks um, throughout the event, the the ownership of the physical then becomes like a new distribution channel for them. Um, so if you think about this in terms of like creator monetization and artist merch. Um, for example, like Verite with her um with the crew neck that that uh has IYK chips in it. Um whoever owns the 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 crew neck has exclusive access to like her next shows, uh, for example, or like um uh uh pre-listens to to the new uh record. Um so yeah so yeah a lot of a lot of use cases there for creator monetization. Also um new social games can emerge. Um, I think the latest example was uh the 90 cc um shirts that sort of uh people wore like throughout uh i think it was uh art basel and when you see people walking around with these 90 dc uh cc shirts you can scan them and it it admits uh, a po-op for you saying that you met this person so then you can observe these like uh social graphs for people who are associated together by wearing this brand and yeah, some like social games can can emerge out of that where you have this leaderboard where, you know, that this person has minted like the most co-ops uh, from the most shirts and like fi- found people within the community. Yeah. And I'm curious. So I feel like that type of experience is something that we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, I'm curious when you think about like where the sort of necessity of that stuff being on chain comes into play, where yeah what what makes that uniquely an interesting web three um use case or application yeah for sure um so the on chain so going back to the the festival wristband example um the the digital record is 
within a centralized server somewhere, right? Uh, owned by Golden Voice or like the Coachella like event organizers. And the sort of read access, write access to that that utility is kind of in the hands of the the like centralized sort of event organizers or like whoever issued um, that product. But having the on-chain record be um, the on-chain, having the record be on-chain, you are essentially turning the physical product into like an, an API for anyone to program utility on top of it um, permissionlessly. So I can say, I mean, it's similar to like things like token gating, right? Where you, if you owned like an NFT from uh, a particular artist before, then you get whitelisted into like their subsequent um, their subsequent uh, collection sales. So it's the same as that, but with physical products. So if you think about it uh, with with artist merch, then you can you can basically distribute any physical item and build an API on top where people can like uh, uh, assign utility and the users can derive sort of ongoing utility out of it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because it feels like. Um, up until this point, it has been really hard to um, create tangible experiences around composability, partially because like I think because when I think about what composability really means, ultimately, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's this ability to build on top of um, existing software to actually create like net new types of experiences and stuff like that. Right. And I think what's interesting is that like for the most part, um, actually being able to tangibly see the benefits of composability has been kind of tricky, partially because like oftentimes it's hidden behind software, which we don't really realize is actually right. using lots of other different software. Um, but also to your point, because these physical experiences are basically siloed. Um, and so it, it kind of makes me wonder, like when we think about what this means to just like own things in the first place. Like I think today as a consumer of products, I often don't think, oh, you know, this sweatshirt is going to potentially unlock X, Y, and Z in the future. But there's actually a world in which like where there's, you know, an NFC chip in my sweatshirt that actually um, gets me an airdrop for X, Y, and Z and gets me access to this. Like that feels like it, it sort of changes the way that we see um, this, not just physical objects, but also like, what they can enable. Yeah, for sure. It yeah, it's it's giving you full stack utility, right? Both in the physical world and in like online. Um yeah, so like I think um just as like like how the internet in general um brought out new consumer behaviors that we haven't seen before. Like before before the like button or like the share button kind of sort of came about, we had no notion of like producing content to optimize for these metrics, right? So um, I think eventually as NFC or, or like as chipped products become more ubiquitous, it will become more of like an, an like uh, table stakes or expectations for consumers to like, if I'm spending more than like X amount of dollars on some physical merch, I'm going to expect some like future like uh, utility out of it um, rather than just having like buy it once and then, you know, um, and then just have it be like a one-time, a one-time thing. Yeah. It kind of makes me wonder also, like in this idea of, you know, merch as distribution, or even let's just call it for lack of a better term, like there's a world in which you could just call this all hardware, like a sweatshirt is hardware. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but in that case, like, I'm curious also then how that might influence like brands in the sense that, 
you know, you could see a world in which um, there are actually brands that essentially aim to become, to be distributed to a certain group of people. They're like targeting a certain group of people. And so, yes, you might buy the hardware, whether that's, you know, um, a piece of clothing or something entirely different, but also like there's a weird world in which those brands actually leverage their merch or whatever it might be as a distribution channel to then give access to people who would wear their stuff. Um, and so that also makes me wonder, like, are there new models there um, in terms of just being a business that distributes um, in the same way that like social media platforms today, their entire business model is basically just get people to use their product right. and then build business models on top of it. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, if, if, if like the, the, well, in the creator monetization example, like if you have, if you're an issuer or a brand and you have data on who owns what merch, then you, you can have like sort of more granular data on like who your biggest fans and who your most loyal um, community members are. And so um, on the brand side of things, you can partner up with, you know, other brands who are aligned and and offer services that way the same as how you know credit cards if you're a, a credit card member at a certain tier you get access to airport lounges and you know discounts um at various merchants yeah and and of course there's also i think the other side of this that like so there's the opportunity and what that unlocks and like net new types of business models and partnerships and things like that on the flip side, you talk a little bit in the piece about like, you know, what would it look like to have games where people um, are like essentially getting certain types of rewards or leveling up by physically being in a place like Pokemon Go, but like on steroids. Yeah. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about that use case and then we can dive into some questions that I have around some of the implications of that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the gaming, so the gaming example I gave in the piece was uh, uh, it was this a, a role-playing game, live-action role-playing game, where um, it was this meetup and you people had like weapons, like swords, where they they're like fighting each other in real life, but like the chips are sort of registering these interactions and then like registering their scores um, on chain. And that was more of a, I guess, like a a showcase sort of one-off use case. But there's um, in the Web two world and sort of traditional. Uh, toys industry, there's a category of toys called uh, Toys to Life, um, mm. which, um, so there's a, there's this Nintendo product called Amiibos, and they're these like plastic figurines with NFC chips in them, and you're actually um, playing the game sort of like, like a board game uh, on like an on a physical table, but the NFC chips are like actually recording like your interactions, and you can uh, take those experiences then onto like your, uh, your uh, Nintendo Wii or your, yeah. um, what's it called? The Switch. So it's just like this sort of digi-physical gaming experience um, that is that happened like kind of before Web3. Yeah, I think things like that um, start to make me think of like what happens when a lot of our world starts to be augmented in this way where everything is going at least online and in some cases on chain. Um, and I even think about like the days of Pokemon Go where like yeah. everyone was outside just because they were like going and, you know, 
trying to find what I never played, as you can tell, because I'm not using the right <laughs> terminology. But like everyone seemed to be going and like two physical places just to play this game. And to some degree, that was really, really helpful. Um, but I think in other ways, of course, what this starts to make me think of is like what happens when so many, because I think at the core of this is like we want to basically tie digital experiences um, and physical experiences to the point where right now there's sort of this weird divide to the point that we talked about earlier between like physical and digital goods. And so yeah. the, the exciting thing here feels like you're able to tie them together. You're able to take what you're doing in the real world um, and actually bring that on chain, whether it's people that you meet at a conference. And so you get a poet that you met someone and create these social networks online or like the the fact that you get access to certain types of physical experiences via the sweatshirt or the NFC chip. All of that feels like it's tying these things together. However, the weird question that that brings up is like, okay, so if we start to tie these things more closely, um, are we creating a world where we like can't log off basically? Like, are we, are we sort of starting to make it harder and harder to just touch grass? I mean, that, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, arguably now, like, um, Instagram, right, is is sort of a digital physical experience where like you're going to these places, but you're like taking out your phone and like recording and kind of like flexing that you were in such and such place. Um, uh, and so I think like uh, games is one of it, uh, one of the one of the use cases, but also like just flexing and like social uh, social interactions right now are like very digital in a sense that you know like we're more and more like knowing people digital first before like physical and i think um by by enabling like physical experiences to be or like incentivizing people to do something in the physical world um you're actually like you you can you can program or like you can uh design experiences that is less is like uh less on screen right where it feels mm. more natural where you're like having where, where you're just like scanning your phone and that's it and you're like kind of in that place and you have your proof and you don't don't have to like take your camera out and like do whatever um so like live minting and you know po-op check-ins is one of these things so i think like by enabling um programmability in uh through physical experiences it actually can incentivize us to <laughs> touch grass right rather than um just being on screens all the time because right now our like our interactions are kind of just scoped to this like these digi uh, di digital uh, realms yeah that's really interesting it also makes me wonder you know when I think about like my experience with the internet and I tweeted about this a while ago about how I've always like kind of resented the internet because I feel like I was forced to be on it from a younger age mm -hmm. um and so I think that gave me a certain perspective around it. And there were a lot of people who responded who were like, yeah, this is definitely partially when you grew up because I don't feel this way because I grew up without the internet and I'm opted into it and all this stuff. And so some of that I think makes a ton of sense. And it also makes me wonder, um, will the next generation like resent the digital footprint that they have? Because for us, we're like, oh yes, that's easier. It makes it easier to touch grass because we would be choosing to post this anyways. And so we would, we've sort of already opted in. And so this is just like an automation of that versus everything that we do sort of automatically being like opt in to having a physical presence or sorry, a digital presence. And even more so, of course, like everything's on chain. So that's an entirely different question. 
Yeah, I mean, that's why, like, so so the thing about Web3, right, is it's it's all um, opt-in. Um, like, you can you can choose to, like, not mint or, like, not have, uh, like, you know, physically, like, interact with these products, right? But, um, but yeah, but, like, right now, like, the digital platforms are kind of um, forcing us to stay within within these screens and these digital realms um, and forcing us to, you know, um, kind of, like, programming our monkey brains to like optimize for like their their metrics right um so i think um having new forms of interactions and um enabling new kinds of um irl experiences opens up the design space for what what uh, activities or interactions we want to have and experiences we want to design for for consumers mm. I'm curious what you think like the strangest or most interesting experience um, might look like. Like if you're just taking a wild guess of just something absolutely insane, what would what would that be? Um, I think like the the most sort of out there example that I came across in re- researching this piece was this like the 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 uh the sword fighting ex- experience i was like oh that's <laughs> that's that's neat um but uh i think like to to think of it like in the far future where all this technology is like integrated and not as clunky as it is now is like you can walk into a physical store and um you know wearing like the brand the brand merch and it can like detect like what interactions that you've done on chain like what what utility um, you've kind of made use of and uh, kind of uh, personalize your experience within the store or within that community. And maybe like even recommend like people you should meet um, if it's like a social graph sort of uh, use case. Um, And yeah, I think like a lot of it to me comes down to like identity and um, like data sovereignty um, for for people. who you know like they like they want to express themselves right like they they want to express their unique identities like by wearing these brands by being part of these uh communities and um if you can sort of like collect these these reputation points or like interaction points both um offline and online then it allows people to be more expressive um uh that way Mm. Yeah, I mean, on the note of like data sovereignty and identity also, I'm curious how you think about some of this in the context of like privacy and what that looks like. Because obviously if I can, you know, walk by and read your NFC chip and even know what your address is, like we're probably in trouble. So I'm curious how you think about that as it relates to this like digiphysical realm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, it's, it's definitely like, Right now, the the interaction points is kind of designed for things that are that people wouldn't mind uh, making public, right? But um, but it's it's up to it's the responsibility of like developers who like to to d- design or and to be thoughtful about what types of gating and what types of access controls uh, to design into these systems, such that you such that there's still um, a level of, uh, of consent there. Yeah, because I, when I really think about like all of the different products in my life, like those are not all things that I want associated with, certainly not the same 
on-chain identity and maybe in general not any on-chain identity which kind of brings me to this question like I think in the in the digital world we've been able to fragment identity in a way that is um a lot easier because they're we're not tied to a body um but when you start to like cross over into this physical realm you you are tied to a body with anything that you're doing and so um that starts to make me wonder like what does this like you know multiple different fluidity of identities look like when we're tying um, this stuff to a single body? Well, that's the thing with um, with the chips that has has their own signing capabilities, right? Because like it's the physical product itself that has an identity on chain that's separate mm. from the person that owns it. So for example, if I had uh, like a, like a, an IDCC uh, shirt, like that itself is like decoupled from from um from like me like in my wallet like niche.eth um because it might not be the nft it's not an nft that i hold in niche.eth but it's like the chip that's registered in like a registry on chain and that entry in the registry is what ties to the on-chain record of like the utility that comes out of it and whoever owns it like that record is not necessarily on chain right because it's not necessarily like nft ownership ownership but um but the the physical product itself has its own identity on chain. So if I trans uh, if I sell it to another person, then they can derive utility out of that uh, product, and it's not like tied to me anymore. I didn't really think I didn't really put two and two together in that context. Like I knew that that was in theory what it was doing, but I hadn't really thought about that like that in practice, which is kind of interesting, and makes me wonder. So let's say that we start to have like all of these different physical things in our lives that actually basically have to your point their own identity because they have their own private key, which means they have their own their own address. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me wonder how we start to think about identity and tying these things together. Um, because to your point, like I, I suppose you like let's use the example of a sweatshirt that a fan has that gets them access to a bunch of different things. I suppose you can tie like a person's identity to that sweatshirt and like maybe that's helpful. Um, But your fans are really, they're people, but in in your view of them, they're a bunch of sweatshirts, which is kind of an interesting (laughs) dynamic. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I suppose, yeah, it's, uh, I guess like instead of a, a database that says, you know, your name and like whatever concerts you attended, what tickets you hold, you have like sweatshirts you have data on like the interaction history of a particular sweatshirt which is kind of like a proxy to the fan uh the person um but i mean that comes back to like the distribution channel side of things where if you're able to update these uh on-chain records of like the the rights that people are um or like the the point the reputation points that people are accruing to these um physical objects um, then you can like segment fans more, um, more granularly, but yeah, I guess like you're on a technical level. Yes. You're messaging the physical products, but like that's a proxy to the person. And I, I guess it's more like privacy preserving that way <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. I mean, and the funny part about this is that what you start to actually enable is like, there's nothing that you can't do with an NFC chip at that point. You could have a private key where you you literally sell an identity via a sweatshirt. Like you can build an entire on-chain resume um, and, and a huge amount of data 
um, using a specific address. And then you can tie that to a physical thing, which is kind of, I mean, that's already the case with a ledger, right? Like you can do that. Um, but in this case, it feels even more bizarre because you could create it at scale. Um, and, and you could be selling these at scale, which is just kind of, I mean, part of it probably speaks to the weird conflation right now between identity and on-chain addresses. Um, but I don't see that like going away necessarily. So I don't know. It, it becomes a very, you can see how, how weird things can get. Yeah, for sure. Like I could definitely someone uh, see someone whose like hobby is to just like buy a bunch of these merch and like accrue as as much reputation points to them as possible and like like, selling them at a higher price point because they because the the item itself um, gives you access to like exclusive access to whatever uh, tiers um, uh, within the community. So it's kind of like a a membership card in a way. Or like a like let's say a membership NFT that people have right now that um, kind of records your contributions to the community and if those membership NFTs become tradable then you're essentially you know allowing people to like transfer reputation transfer identity so um, I I mean I'm pretty sure in practice there's going to be ways to gate that <laughs> um, or like uh, control for that but um, yeah I mean if there is it's possible. Yeah, I think that type of just weird, nuanced um, second order effect of some of this is going to be fascinating. Um, and and some of this even makes me wonder, like, you know, of course, this is not an AR podcast and I don't want it to become an <laughs> AR podcast. However, with like, you know, the Vision Pro and all of the stuff that has come out over the last like month mm-hmm. or so, I think an interesting open question when it comes to how we sort of bridge our digital and physical worlds is this question of like AR and how we'll interact mm-hmm. with, with all of these different things. And so I'm curious um, what you think like the interplay is going to be, because it feels like this is very like, I have this physical object, this is tied to something on chain, but it's not augmenting the way that I see my physical world. It's actually mm-hmm. sort of augmenting the way that I see my digital world in response to my physical world. Whereas it feels like AR is kind of the opposite where like AR is augmenting the way that we see the physical world using like digital yeah. tools. Um, and so I'm curious how you think these things might interplay or build on each other, if at all. Um, that's, I think um, like so far it's been kind of developing in parallel. Like you have some overlaps, like you can, you have virtual try-ons where you're like picturing yourself in in these clothes, um, but yeah, I think for the for the medium term, it's gonna still be like AR works as it does now, right? Um, without these like NFC chips and and um, and like this on chain linkage, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't see those two things um, kind of merging for the time being because like like hardware accessibility wise, it's a lot more um, it's a lot less uh, accessible, in, like especially with the v, uh, AR VR goggles. Um, but with digital physical uh, products, um, the price points can be lowered much more uh, quickly. Um, where you're just buying like merch and it's got a simple chip, and you're like ready to go, like on chain. Hmm. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. That like um, we are aug we're augmenting our reality in a way. Um, when we're doing things like having NFC chips, but it's a different type of augmenting reality and it's a different way of tying it to the digital realm. 
it's more yeah so with ar it's more like visual and with digital physical it's more visceral like for the other senses it's kind of like you don't need sort of additional technology or like goggles or like the, these augmentation devices to interact with digital physical experiences yeah and i think the other thing to call out here that would be interesting to speak to is just like one of the things that feels appealing about the physical aspect of all of this is the potential for not having to deal with all the bullshit of onboarding. And so I'm curious, like, do you think the digiphysical um, goods might end up being like a, a potential sort of wedge for getting deeper, um, getting consumers deeper into crypto? Or do you think this is going to be more of like something that appeals mostly to crypto natives? I mean, I, I definitely see it as a good onboarding tool. Like if you, if you're at like ECC or these events, for example, with booths, I could see, you know, um, communities giving out, um, cards that act as simple wallets with these NFC chips. And that card has like its own sort of identity on chain. Right. And then you can use this card to access events. You can use cards to mint po-ops from, uh, community members or like fellow community members. And then that could be like a gateway for people to like not experience web three, you know, on chain first, but they're given a simple wallet, like an onboarding wallet, and they can interact um, as if they would at like a festival or like at, at an event right away. Um, they wouldn't act, they wouldn't be sort of appropriate to be like, um, like long-term wallets for people, but mm. with things like account abstraction, um, you can use these cards. It's like signing keys that um, give you access to like other uh, other dApps um, when once they're onboarded through this like physical funnel. Interesting. Yeah, I mean the the ephemerality of some of this stuff is like a very interesting call out as well around like how long term is some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and in the context of something like onboarding, that makes a ton of sense. That also makes me wonder, like, I guess the one weird part about physical things is that they wear over time. And yeah. like the whole thing about being on chain is that it doesn't wear. So um, I am, I think the onboarding point makes a ton of sense. Um, and I am also curious how you're thinking about what it looks like for these things to like decay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like shirts, shirts wear off and like physicals wear off. Right. Um, so the... I guess the the applications on top of these physicals, um, the ephemerality should be correlated with you know how durable the physical product is, mm, right? So if it's just like an like if it's just an onboarding card, then you should use it as like a burner wallet. You could, you should use it as like something that you get from an event and that you don't have to like put in a vault when you get home, right? Um, and so like one sort of fun example from East Denver was. There was a, a hackathon project um, of people just making like uh, lizards out of beads, uh, and they made bead dow. So, so they were just like sitting on the table and like just like making these lizard beads, and the beads had uh, NFC like Kong chips in them. And um, as you went around, you as you met people with with uh, these lizards, you can mid po ops and you get onboarded onto bead dow. So mm. I doubt, you know, like these beads lizards are like high value, but it's just like a fun thing to onboard community members. Right. And people uh, who are, who this is like their first experience with, with web three, like they didn't even, they, they don't even have to know that it's web three. They're just like meeting someone and they're like, 
oh, this is like a proof that I met this person and I'm like on this leaderboard. But now like my beaded lizard can, I don't know, act as a, like a, a uh, access, like a community gated, a token gated space uh, for this community for them to do other stuff um, after, after the event itself. Totally. Yeah. And I think like all of this is also coming at a really interesting time where I do think that um, hardware and physical things that represent either our interaction with a community or onboarding into a community feels like it's kind of on the rise. I don't know if that's like a post COVID thing, like even meta label doing what they've been doing, which you called out. Mm. Um, and actually maybe it's worth you highlighting some of the, the call out around meta label, but even what they're doing feels, uh, uniquely like it's, being spurred by something. I don't know. Maybe you can give a high level of some of the stuff that Meta Label's been doing and then give a take on maybe why this is coming up now. Yeah, for sure. So um, Meta Label itself is a platform where um, people who have the same vision um, for something, uh, creators who have the same set of ideas around what um, pieces of uh, creative work they want to release um, can discover each other and co-release work together. So Meta Labels are just release clubs um, of people and and the platform itself is like a minting page where, you know, creators are coming on and releasing works together. Um, and uh, so far, it's m mainly been like zines, but also with a physical component. So um, like it, it's still kind of at the bundle, like the bundle uh, stage of physicals. There's no like chips in it or anything. But when like someone is coming on to to mint uh, a meta label release you can opt in to like have the nft and also like have the zine with you and um and they've also recently done like a like an on-chain record like a vinyl record where you're buying the record and you're also like owning the nft um they're also doing things like events where um hosting real life events where you're minting like a ticket and you're um bringing people together in like irl spaces um, so, so far, like there's no chips or no, no like linkage, of, uh, aside from this, like initial issuance, um, of digital products and, and physical products, but I could see that kind of integrating, um, in the future to be more of a, like, you know, um, cohesive sort of digital physical experience where you're like minting and you're also, um, deriving, like you're, you're also getting access to these, um, events in real life. And maybe minting co-ops, maybe um, minting like different artifacts, um, going around New York and like seeing uh, sort of artifacts and like like minting uh, a co-op that proves that you you found it sort of like a treasure hunt. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's sort of um, the, the pieces are are coming together. Yeah, and I think what's interesting to me about that is like like I went to the Idiot, which was an exhibition by Jay, who I've had on the podcast before with Meta Label. Um, and and have also been a prolific collector of almost all of the meta label zine drops. Yeah. And like, I think the interesting thing to me there is like, there is something that is making it interesting to have a physical artifact from mm -hmm. a digital experience. Um, and I think that's also why your piece spoke to me in general is that like, I think we're at a weird moment and, and people have written on this, but um, we're like, hardware, whether that's as I'm putting that in air quotes for people who are not watching this as video, um, <laughs> hardware is like, if you consider it anything from like a zine to, you know, actual hardware, um, feels like it's on the rise. And part of me wonders if it's like a COVID thing. Like if it was just like, we built these rich digital lives and now we're like 
craving something to sort of show for all of the time that we've spent on the internet. Like, I don't know. I'm curious if you have a take on, on the rise of, at least in my eyes, it feels like the rise of like digital artifacts and things that are tied to our internet communities, but are things we can actually hold. It's related to being a COVID phenomenon. I remember when people were in lockdown for the first time, like people were just, um, they they were like super happy that they didn't have to commute to work anymore. And they were talking about you know, remote <laughs> work and like, you know, you're you're having all your meetings in Gather Town and all these virtual experiences. <laughs> and there, there's no need for offices and like, I don't know, things. But then it didn't take long for people to be like, yeah, actually, I want to go outside and I actually mm-hmm. want to like, you know, meet people in real life. But now that we have built, uh, like accelerated kind of the development of like things that we can do online, um, we like we're 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 leveraging hardware to um to kind of bring that back to like the visceral um experience um so yeah I mean like and with with meta label it's interesting because uh a lot of the the meta label pieces that I have or like kind of the sentimental attachment I have to these pieces even though it's like a physical product I. I feel more of a connection to it because of the previous sort of digital connections that I've made uh, with the creators that were involved in making it um, before like this physical thing. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like digital connections, but like sort of being brought into, into the physical space. Um, whereas like if I was at a book fair or something and I bought this, this zine, without knowing any sort of context behind it, then I might not have as much of a, of a connection to it. Totally. Yeah. And I think to me, that's what's fascinating um, about a lot of this stuff is like, as we build really, really rich digital lives, and and, and I think we've done that over the last couple of years, um, being able to tie those things to objects that actually sort of commemorate those those rich um, digital experiences and and remind us of them and and help us explore them. Um, I think is going to be fascinating, and I think the linkage between um, those objects and the digital spaces that they are referencing and being able to to make that like a closer and tighter connection um, is going to be fascinating. And I'm very excited to see what weird shit people come up with because I'm sure that they will like I even some like an artist like Shlomes I feel like is going to do some very weird shit with this um where like you can start to see how there might be like feed like strong feedback loops um where you know you you have an object you feel more connected to it and then it it keeps engaging you yeah I mean like web3 web3 has always been very digital right but I always get a lot of FOMO where where people are kind of tweeting pictures of like them uh, like meeting up in like NFT NYC or like some of these events with like the physical aspect of like, okay, we're bringing this digital uh, dig- uh, digital community now offline. And I feel a lot more FOMO for not being in that physical experience um, than, oh, I missed out on this mint, you know? Um, totally. And I mean, and, and Metagamma Delta, like we, we met like online, right? But then we went to Costa Rica for Metacamp and that was kind of like, an experience that like solidified everyone's sort of um, relationships with each other. And like, we had this sort of um, commonality online uh, already, but like the physical aspect sort of like, I don't know, it it makes it feel more 
um, complete. And like, I don't think you can get that sort of level of um, connection just from like digital experiences. Totally. Yeah. There's like a funny um, dynamic there between depth and vulnerability that you can have in these like physical spaces that is just really hard to get online. And also I think this element of like scarcity that you can also have in real life where like there's an abundance of people gathering online all the time, you know, there's going to be more of that and it's not that hard, but physically like that's where I think some of the FOMO starts come in partially because it's like, that is, that is a, there's a scarcity of time and resources and things to make that possible. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a really great point. And I'm very excited to see how some of the like digiphysical stuff starts to like potentially facilitate some of that a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. We're on wrapping and off ramping like digital and physical experiences weirdly to each other. <laughs> like we're trying oh, yeah. to, to make yeah, yeah. that smooth and also tighter. Um, well, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Um, where can people learn more about you and read all of the wonderful research that you've been doing? Um, sure. So I, so for my like historical writing, it's, it's been on medium, like one KX is medium. So the, the username there is one KX network. Um, and we've recently migrated to mirror. So, um, you'll find like my future writing in mirror as well. Um, and then, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Beautiful. Nitch, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is this is awesome.